finding the book of Micah. It's right after Jonah, and it's right before Nahum. It's in the Old Testament. This morning, what we're going to do is similar to what we did with Titus. We're going to look at the entire book in one sermon, but I hope, I pray that it's not just a lesson or some kind of academic lecture, but that it is a sermon as we look throughout the entire book of Micah. Then starting next Sunday, we'll start preaching our way verse by verse through the book of Micah. So let me pray and ask God's blessing on our time in his word, and then we will get started. Oh, Father God, we are so thankful for who you are, who you reveal yourself to be in your word. We thank you for the book of Micah. We thank you for the message that you have for each and every one of us in it. Thank you for the character that we find and that we understand about you in this book. And we ask, Lord, this morning that as we study your word together, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us understanding. Some of these concepts are not easy for us to understand. This is not a common book of scripture that is preached, but it is important, and we know that its message is good for us to listen to. So, Father, I pray most of all that you would open our hearts to the truths that you have for us in your word, that you give me wisdom as I preach, and that we may use these riches that are found in the book of Micah in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I grew up in Illinois, and I'm a big Illinois basketball fan, but the NBA team of choice in my hometown was obviously the Chicago Bulls. Now, I was not alive for most, if not all, of the Chicago Bulls dynasty, but obviously I grew up knowing about Michael Jordan. He won six championships with the Bulls, including three in a row twice. He was the MVP of the NBA several times. He won various other awards like Defensive Player of the Year and He won gold medals for his Olympic accolades. He's one of the first NBA athletes to really start building his brand, Be Like Mike. If you looked at the kids and the shoes that they were wearing at the time, everyone wanted to be and act and play like Michael Jordan. But the truth is, it was hard to be like Michael Jordan. He was an intense worker in the gym and in the weight room. He was fiercely competitive. In fact, he would make up, this is true, he would make up rivalries with people and he would put in the news that this person said this thing to him during a game that he never actually said and he would lie about these things just to incite some sort of rivalry and just to motivate him to win and be a better basketball player. He had a little bit of a gambling problem when it came to playing golf and cards and things like that, and that got him in some trouble with the media. But he was always known, he is always known to this day, he's still alive, as someone who was fiercely competitive. And I would say if you look at the modern National Basketball Association, all the people that followed after him, to Kobe Bryant, to LeBron James, they all tried to be and fashion their games in some way to be like Michael Jordan. In fact, a lot of them still wear his number. Now, you might be sitting here today and Nothing of what I just said makes any sense to you, and that's okay. The point that I'm trying to make is that everyone in some way wanted to try to be like Michael Jordan, but it was very, very difficult. No one really quite could play or could act like he did. The name Micah means who is like Yah or who is like Yahweh, who is like the Lord. 
And as I think about that name, that actually is a great theme for the book. The book of Micah reveals to us the character of who Yahweh truly is. Micah was a prophet during the reign of several kings in Judah. It was during the time when Israel was taken captive by Assyria. And he's given these messages, these warnings to the Jewish people to repent. And as he's giving these messages, he's revealing things to them about the character of God. You see, if you read the Old Testament prophets, one of the biggest things you're going to find is that they truly didn't know who God was. They were Jewish people. They worshiped in the synagogue, but they truly had no idea who God was and what his character was like. And in the book of Micah, we get a very clear and a very upfront sense of who the Lord is. It's a book about his justice. We're going to see that as we look in these first couple chapters of Micah, the justice of the Lord. We all crave justice, don't we? We all see injustices in our lives. We look at things and say, that is not right. Why would God allow that to happen? We just want justice. Well, if you want to understand justice, then read the book of Micah. It's all about justice. The book of Micah is also about God's holiness. Israel had sinned against God. They'd broken his covenants. They were unclean. He couldn't be found in their sight. It's a book about God's holiness and how he is set apart. And he is not like us because of his holiness. But finally, and maybe what I love most importantly about the book of Micah, is that it's a book about God's love. It's a book about God's faithfulness, about his forgiveness towards his people. It's a book that not only promises that there will be a remnant left of these people, but Micah in the fourth and fifth chapters promises a kingdom that will one day come and a perfect king who will rule and reign over his people. If you want to understand justice, if you want to understand the love of God, if you want to understand God's faithfulness to us, then I would encourage you to read the book of Micah. Let me just put this plug in here right now. So many times we focus on the New Testament, and that's very important for us. That's where we are now as a church. Obviously, we're in the New Testament age, the church age. Let me encourage you, read the Old Testament. Read the Old Testament. Read the prophets. Read the minor prophets. Sometimes they're confusing. Sometimes they're a little strange. If you want to understand God's word, if you want to understand the character of God, read the Old Testament. The book of Micah examines what it means to be in a covenant relationship with God. His justice, his holiness, how he hates sin and is just towards sinners. It's a book about, being, about leaders being accountable to God, about God judging wickedness. But it's also a book about a Messiah king who would one day come and rule and reign over the earth. And so in our sermon this morning, what I want us to see, and this is really what I want us to see over the entire book of Micah, that we look at, it is this thought that there is no one like God in his justice and his mercy. 
There is no one like God in his justice and his mercy. The name Micah means who is like the Lord, who is like God. It's a rhetorical question because obviously there is no one like God in his justice and mercy. And we're going to see that hopefully in our sermon this morning, but throughout the entire book of Micah as we study it over the next several weeks. This dominates and this underlines the entire book. And so this morning, like I said, we're going to look at a 30,000 foot view of the three major sections of the book of Micah. We're not going to study it verse by verse necessarily, but we want to get through the major sections of it so that we can understand it together. But before we do that, let's talk about the text in context or the context of the book of Micah. First of all, the author. The author is Micah. It says so in verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Meresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Micah, like we said, his name means who is like Yah. It's a very common Hebrew name. We actually don't know very much about Micah the person or Micah the prophet, except for what is found in the book of Micah and in a couple other places. Moresheth is near Gath. It's one of the five Philistine cities that was near Jerusalem. It was a small town. In fact, many commentators have said Micah is trying to say that I'm Micah, I'm kind of a nobody, and I'm from nowhere because nobody really knew where Moresheth was. It was a very small town. Micah wasn't a very popular person. He wasn't very well known as he was writing this book. But that actually plays into the theme of the book of Micah. You see, as we get into chapter 3, we're going to see that there were leaders and there were rulers who were not being just to Israel. They were not being just to the common, everyday people. And Micah sees this injustice as a normal person, as a nobody, as someone who didn't come from the royal lineage, as someone who is just kind of insignificant. And so the author, Micah, there's not too much that we find about him in scripture, except for something that I think is rather interesting. And it's found in Jeremiah chapter 26. If you look a little bit ahead in your Bible, a little bit earlier in your Bible at Jeremiah chapter 26, the prophet Jeremiah prophesied about a hundred years after Micah was alive. And notice what is said here in Jeremiah chapter 26 verses 18 and 19. Jeremiah is in some trouble with the nation for what he's been saying about destruction coming towards Jerusalem. And notice what is said to the elders. It says, Micah of Meresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and said to all the people of Judah, thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed as a field and Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all of Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? Did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he had pronounced against them? What is this saying? King Hezekiah and the people of Judah listened to what Micah had to say, and the Lord spared them. Do you remember what happens to Hezekiah? He's king of Judah. There's this destruction that's coming from Assyria and they're surrounding Jerusalem. And Hezekiah prays to the Lord for deliverance. And then in one night, the entire Assyrian army is wiped out by these angels. And and Judah is delivered. Well, what are they saying here in Jeremiah? It's because Hezekiah and the people read the book of Micah. 
They listened to what Mike had to say, and they were saved because of that. They repented. And so the book of Micah is actually a book that was well-received by the Jewish people. It doesn't mean that they always listened to him, but it's a servant, it's a prophet of the Lord, preaching the message of God, and the people actually responded and repented of their sins. Let's talk about the historical setting. Micah tells us in chapter 1 that he serves, or he's a prophet, during the reigns of three kings, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now, there were some Israel kings who were alive during that time. We know that this is during the split. There is the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Israel's not going to be around too much longer, even in Micah's lifetime. It's going to be captured by Assyria. But these three kings of Judah were the people that Micah primarily served under. He lived from about 750 B.C. to somewhere around 686 B.C. And this book was written probably around 700 B.C. or shortly after, around the time that Hezekiah started making these changes. It's important for us to notice a couple things about the context of what is going on during this time. There's a split in the kingdom of Israel. There's Israel, the northern kingdom, Judah, the southern kingdom. I've said that. There is corruption going on between the leaders in Judah under King Uzziah. There was some financial prosperity and some wealth that Israel and Judah had during that time. And because of that, they were a little bit cocky or they were a little bit um, full of themselves. And so that plays into the theme of the book of Micah. It was the same or similar in Israel as well. So during this time, there's corruption. There's a lot of wealth that's going on in each of these countries. And then lastly, let's notice the theme or the structure of the book of Micah. Micah has three major messages that we're going to look at this morning. The first message is chapters one and two of the book. The second message is chapters three through five. And the last message is chapters 6 and 7. And so those are going to be our three main points this morning. Each message that Micah gives has not only a pronouncement of judgment, a reason for that judgment, but it also has hope. Micah ends each of his messages from the Lord on a note or a theme of hope that we are going to see in each one of these messages, highlighting the love, mercy, and justice of God. So let's look at this first message together this morning. We see God's just judgment on his people. God's judgment on his people in chapters 1 and 2. Look with me at these first seven verses of chapter 1. We see this coming destruction. We see this coming destruction of God's justice. He calls the people in verse 2. He says, hear you peoples, all of you Pay attention, all earth. He calls out to the people. He calls out to all of the earth. This is the Lord speaking. And let the Lord God be a witness against you from his holy temple. This sees God and his holy temple who's high and lifted up. And then notice verse 3. It says, behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. The Lord is descending down on the earth. And what happens when the Lord comes down? It says in verse 4, the mountains will melt under him. The valleys will split open the, the, like wax before fire. 
like waters poured down from a steep place. God's coming down from his temple. God's coming down from heaven. And all of nature and all of the earth and all the nations are watching. And it says the earth is trembling. The mountains are shaking. The valleys are splitting open. The waters are pouring out. The Lord is coming down to look at what Israel has done. It's a picture of the justice of the Lord that's going to come to Israel. In verse 5, all this is for the transgression of Jacob, for the sins of the house of Israel. Israel has sinned. Israel and Judah have both sinned as nations. He says, what is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? Samaria is one of the capital cities of Israel. It was where all the politically powerful people lived during that time. And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Obviously the capital of Judah. What the Lord is saying is that the leaders and the people of each of these nations have sinned against the Lord. So then we see this pronouncement of judgment. Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. This judgment that's going to come onto the northern kingdom. And again, this would happen in Micah's lifetime. They would see this happen and come from Assyria. Verse 7. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire and all her idols laid to waste. This would happen, this judgment, this justice from God would happen because of Israel's sin. So we see here in verses 2 through 7, God's justice on his people. Look with me at verses 8 through the rest of the chapter and we see Micah's mourning or Micah's lament. He looks, he sees this judgment that's coming from God and he says in verse 8, For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a lamentation like the jackals, mourning like the ostriches. These are all pictures. Again, most of this we'll look at in more detail next week in our sermon. But these are pictures of mourning. These are pictures of sadness because Mike has seen what's going to happen to Israel and he knows that God will be faithful to keep his word. Then notice verses 10 through 16 with me. We see about 11 cities mentioned in all of these different word plays here in verses 10 through 16. These were cities that were on the way to Jerusalem. And what Micah is doing here, what Micah is doing from the, with the message from the Lord, is he is talking about the destruction that's going to come to each one of these cities and he's using a different wordplay or he's using a different illustration to try to show what's going to happen to them. So I won't take the time to go through all of these, but look with me at verse 11. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shafir, in nakedness and shame. Shafir means beauty or beautiful. And what Micah is saying, what the Lord is saying to them is that they would no longer be beautiful. They would pass away in nakedness and shame. This is what would happen to Israel and to Judah because of their sin. Assyria would wipe out Israel, as is said in verses 6 and 7. And then they would march all the way to the gates of Jerusalem. But we know that Jerusalem would be spared. So this is chapter 1 of Micah. God's justice, 
Micah's laments of this judgment. Look with me now at chapter 2. We see Judah's woe. Judah's woe. The scene shifts now primarily to Judah, talking about its corruption, talking about its wickedness, talking about its woe. In fact, most commentators would say that Micah is using woe speech here. It's prophetic judgment speech, things that God would do to them. He says, woe to those who divide, devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hands. They're thinking wicked thoughts. They're devising evil towards God's people. And then when morning comes, they're actually doing these things. Verse 2, they're taking things. They're stealing fields, houses away from people. They're taking people's inheritance away from them. We see a little bit later in verse 6. Notice what the prophets are saying. Do not preach, thus they preach. Micah is giving this judgment. He's giving this condemnation from the Lord. And Judah's prophets are saying, don't preach. Don't tell us that judgment is coming from God. Look at what it says at the rest of verse 6. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Is God really going to do this to us? Is he really going to judge us for our sin? We're going to see that this is a theme in the book of Micah. That Micah is being honest with the people and saying, this is your sin. And this is the judgment that's going to come from the Lord because of your sin. And the prophets and the priests are contradicting him. They're lying to the people and saying, this is not so. We see this as a theme even in chapter 2. They're saying, would the Lord really do that to us? You see, the problem with Israel and the problem with Judah is that they did not understand the character and the holiness of God. They're saying, God will look the other way. God won't judge us for our sin It's much like people today who would ask, why would God send unsaved people to a place called hell? When we get to heaven, God's just going to say everything is all right, that we're all even. I've been a good person. They do not understand the justice and the wrath of God, that God doesn't want to send anyone to hell, but he is just. And those who don't know him and have a relationship with him will be destroyed. This is a theme we see in the book of Micah. God's people did not understand his justice and his wrath. So they kept on sinning. Notice in verse 8. But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses From the young children you take away. This injustice spreads to the women and the children as well. These people's sin. And so woe, judgment was going to come to them. This judgment would come from the Lord. In verse 3, thus says the Lord, behold, against this family I'm devising disaster. These people were devising wickedness and sin. The Lord's saying, I'm going to devise my own disaster against you. We see on a little later in chapter 2 that God would again bring disaster towards them in verse 10. Arise and go. 
For this is no place to rest because of the uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher of this people. God's prophets, the people that were there, were not telling people to repent. They were not encouraging people to know the Lord. And so Micah says, because of this, justice is coming. Israel, Judah, had broken their covenant relationship with God, and because of that, they would be destroyed. But as in all of the different messages in the book of Micah, there is hope. Look at verses 12 through 13. I will surely assemble all of you, Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens up the breach goes before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. The king passes before them. The Lord is at their head. The message of this first part, this first section of Micah, is not just a message of judgment. It's not just a message of lament. But it's also a message of hope that God will restore a better people. That God will judge Judah and he will judge Israel, but he will preserve a remnant. He will preserve a remnant. And notice it says he will set them like sheep in a fold. He would be their shepherd. God would not let them be destroyed. He would not let them cease to exist as a nation. But the Lord would gather them together as a remnant. And we know from reading scripture that God keeps his promise. That even after Judah is destroyed, about a hundred years later, there is a remnant, there is a people of God that have kept together and God preserves them. He serves them, he loves them as their king. So this is Judah's hope, that God would preserve them. In God's sovereignty, we see in these first two chapters that he rules over the nations, that he's sovereign over them, that he sees wickedness and injustice. Sometimes in our lives, we see leaders, we see friends, we see enemies doing things that we know is not right. We pursue justice, but sometimes we wonder, does God care? Does God see what these institutions are doing? Does God see what these leaders are doing? The message of the book of Micah is that he does. That God does see what is going on in the world. That he will execute perfect justice. That God cannot stand wickedness. And against wickedness he destroys it. But we also see that God is a loving and merciful God, that he preserves his people and that he loves those who know him and have a relationship with him. This first message of the book of Micah is tough to take. It's hard for us to see God. Sometimes the character of God that we see in the Old Testament isn't always what we would like for it to be. But friends, this is who our God is is he is loving he is merciful to us but he's also just as well 
Look with me at the second message in the book of Micah in chapters 3 through 5. God's judgment on his leaders. Now in chapters 3 through 5, we get a little bit of the reverse of what has just happened. We have a little about a chapter of judgment that we read about. And then the hope part is chapters 4 and 5, two chapters. Look with me at chapter 3 as God starts denouncing these unjust leaders. We see the beginning of each of these messages by the word here. He says, Hear, you heads of Jacob and the rulers of the house of Israel. He calls on them to listen. You who hate the good and love the evil. He says at the beginning of that verse, actually, is it not for you to know justice? Do you ever feel like leaders don't know justice in your life? You ever feel like you see leaders who hate good and love evil? Read the book of Micah. Look at the rest. It says, Who tear the skin from off my people, their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people, who lay their skin from off of them. This gross illustration of cannibalism just describes the wickedness in the hearts of these leaders here in these verses. We see the wickedness of these people, that they did not know justice. They did not know what was good. They loved what was evil. Look at verse 5. Thus says the Lord concerning these prophets who lead my people astray. It wasn't just the leaders. It was the actual prophets of the people. They cry peace. Everything's fine. There's nothing to worry about. We should just be peaceful. They cry peace when they have something to eat, but they declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. Look at verse 9. Hear this, you heads of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. You ever feel like Leaders and prophets are being unjust. Read the book of Micah. Micah talks about this. Micah highlights this, these sins that were going on even in his own life. Look at verse 11. It's the heads give judgment for a bribe and priests teach for a price and prophets practice divination for money. So they're preaching, they're teaching for gain, for money. We don't know anybody like that in our world today. Yet, they lean on the Lord and they say, Is it not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. These people who live in wickedness, they live in sin, and yet they say, God is in the midst of us. No one is going to hurt us. God sees their wickedness. Notice verse 4, his judgment towards them. They will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. Seems so simple, yet that is a profound statement, that these people will cry on the Lord for help, as God's people should. But he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at their time, because they have made their deeds evil. Verse 6, these prophets who were crying peace, but they were not prophesying what they should. 
Therefore it shall be night to you without a vision, and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. They shall cover their lips. They're not going to be able to see. They're not going to be able to understand. They won't be able to prophesy. In verse 12, this is what was quoted in Jeremiah. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. This, un- this injustice from these leaders, God sees it. God knows it. He is just towards them. He didn't ignore it. He didn't choose to look the other way. But he was where he always is, sitting on his throne, making his, having his perfect plan that he's had throughout all of time. He's going to protect his people. He's going to judge these rulers. We see, though, in the second message of Micah, hope. And this hope is found in two different ways. The first is in God's perfect kingdom. God's perfect kingdom in chapter 4. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established of the mountains. It shall be lifted up above the hills and the people shall flow to it. God's perfect kingdom will come. This is still going to happen. God is going to keep his promises. What is our promise? What is our hope with leaders who do injustice With prophets who are lying to people, it is the kingdom of God. That God is going to come and establish his kingdom, this mountain of the house of the Lord, this future messianic kingdom. And in chapter 4, there's about 11 different characteristics that Micah gives of this kingdom. We don't have time today to cover all of them in detail, but we'll look at them in the next couple weeks. We see, though, that this temple, this house of the Lord, will be prominent. It's going to be a place that people call out to one another, and they go to this mountain. They go to this place to worship. Other nations, in verse 2, say, come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord. It's a place where people go for wisdom and instruction. If you're worried about who's going to be the judge, who's going to decide What is right, it says in verse 3, He, the Lord, shall judge between many people. He shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. There won't be violence as we read. There will be perfect peace. Israel will be spiritually sensitive to their God, as we see in verse 4. They will want to worship him. They will call his name. Verse 5, for all the peoples walk in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever. There's coming a kingdom. There's coming a ruler who's going to come on the earth, and they will rule, and this kingdom will be perfect. The Lord will be the one who is reigning over this kingdom he will be the one that is making these decisions as we'll see here in a little bit in chapter 5 
In verses 9 through 13, we get a couple different scenes here of hope. In verse 9, now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in labor. Some commentators are disputing over whether or not they think this is happening in the exilic period when Israel is in captivity or if it's happening later. But look at what the Lord says in verse 10. Then you shall be rescued. Then the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. In each one of these questions that Micah gives us at the end of chapter 4, there's not only a question, but there is also a hope, a promise that is given from the Lord. This kingdom, which again, we will look at closer in a couple weeks. But notice with me at verse 5, God not only promises his perfect kingdom, but in chapter 5, he promises his perfect king. His perfect king. Verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, who are too little among the clans of Judah, for you shall come forth for me, one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming is from old, from the ancient of Days. There's not only going to be a perfect ruler, or a perfect kingdom, there's going to be a perfect ruler as well, King Jesus. And his birth is prophesied in verse 2 that he would come from Bethlehem, which is insignificant, which was not a well known town. And many people during Christmas time go back to that verse and use it to say Christ would be born from Bethlehem, which he would be. But the rest of this chapter talks about Christ ruling and reigning as our king. He would be the ancient of days. He is eternal. There is no beginning. There is no end. In verse 4, he shall stand as a shepherd, his flock in the strength of the Lord, the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. Now he shall be great to the end of the earth Verse 5, and he shall be their peace. If you want peace, if you want justice, if you want security, if you're frustrated with your own leaders, if you're frustrated with your own people who are in charge, there's going to be a day when we will have the perfect king because it will be Jesus. Because Jesus will be the one who is ruling and Micah says he will be their peace. He will be our peace as well. This perfect king. The message, the story of the book of Micah is not just about God's judgment on leaders, but it's about how God will provide a better leader as well for his kingdom. In verses 6 through 9, we'll see this king will destroy the enemies of Israel. He will protect Israel from their enemies. In verses 10 through 14, he will take away Israel's dependence on other things. Look at verse 10 of chapter 5. And thus declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you. I will destroy your chariots, people who trusted in war and in military might. I'll cut off the cities or the strongholds of your land. People who trust in these castles and these strongholds. Micah is saying you're not going to need these anymore. You can trust 
in this king. In verse 12, I will cut off sorceries from your hand. You shall have no more tellers of fortune. These people who practice witchcraft and wickedness. Verse 13, people who worship false idols and carved images. People who bow down to them. There will be no need for any of that. Christ will be ruling and reigning and he will be better than all of those other things. The hope of the book of Micah, the hope for us this morning is that when rulers and when kings and when leaders fail us, there is coming a king who is better than all of them. And we're not going to need to trust in our own material possessions. We're not going to need to trust in the things that we find security and dependence on. So many times in our life we see injustice, we see wickedness, we see sin from other people, and we start running to, the own, to our own things that we have instead of the Lord. We start talking to people in our lives. We start focusing on our material possessions. We start trying to find security in our own things and in the things that we own. What Micah is telling us, what the Lord is telling us, is that this ruler, this king, Jesus, he's better than all of our material possessions. There will be no need for any of them. He will be perfect. And he will bring his kingdom. He's better than any other system of government, no matter what you vote, no matter what your political leanings are. Christ will be better. This second message, this God's judgment on his leaders and on these rulers. The hope that we have is that God will send a perfect king. Now lastly, look with me at chapters 6 and 7. We see God's judgment on sin and unrighteousness. In verse 6, he again calls out to them. He says, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. He calls out to them to listen to this indictment from the Lord. In verses 3 through 5, he starts questioning them. What have I done to you to cause you to sin against me? How have I not been faithful to you? He reminds them how he saved them from Egypt. How he's helped them walk across the Red Sea. And then look at verses 6 through 8. Very familiar verses in the book of Micah. Verses 6 and 7 are Israel's response to the Lord. God's judging them. God's telling them that they're wicked. And Israel's saying, well, with what shall I come before the Lord? How should I respond to God? What is my relationship with God based on? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? Maybe it's in the sacrificial system. I bring these offerings before God. Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Maybe these animals, maybe if I get a thousand of them, that'll please the Lord. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression or the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Maybe even if I give my own child, my own firstborn, would that please the Lord? Would that satisfy his wrath? We'll look at verse 8. He has told you, O man, how do we please God? How do we know God? How do we have a relationship with him? He tells us in verse 8. 
He's told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly before your God. Mike is not just about justice and wrath. It's about how can we please and love the Lord our God. He gives us three ways. We can do justice. We can live in a righteous way, in the way that God has told us to live. The leaders, Micah says, you should have known what justice was, but you hate good and love evil. He says you should love kindness. You should love the Lord your God. You should have an everlasting love towards him. Lastly, he says you should walk humbly, walk carefully with your God. Pay attention to your relationship with your God. What does the Lord expect, require from his people? It's not these sacrifices. It's not these offerings. But it's these three things. He's not looking for people who would have ritualistic and outward obedience to the Lord. But he's looking for a heart that is changed and obedient to him. But Israel doesn't do this. They don't follow the Lord like they should. And so in verses, in verse 9 through all the way into chapter 7, verse 6, we see this judgment that's detailed towards them. Again, this destruction of the wicked. How God would judge their inhabitants for what they have done for their wicked rulers that we see at the end of chapter 6. In chapter 7, we see Micah who is crying out, who is despairing over what is going on to Judah who's saying there's no other godly people around me they've all perished these wicked people are laying here and lying in blood Micah is lamenting his own condition we see this wicked's destruction but lastly like all the other messages have we see Micah's hope In verse 7, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. He will hear me. While all this destruction, all this wickedness is going on around me, Micah would find his hope and his satisfaction in the Lord. He would wait. He would be patient. In verse 10, even when the enemies are saying, where is the Lord your God? Who is going to help you? Who is going to protect you? Micah. Micah says, I will wait in the Lord. In verse 14, he calls upon the Lord. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance who dwell in the forest in the midst of the garden land. Micah finds his trust. Micah finds his salvation. Micah finds his hope. In the Lord. There's so much here. There's so much in these chapters that we could talk about. But I want to finish our time this morning looking at verses 18 through 20. And what is my favorite part of the book of Micah? This final prayer, this final praise to the Lord. Verse 18 Who is a God like you? Who is like the Lord? Who is a God like you? It's a rhetorical question. We know that no one is like the Lord, our God. 
but not just in his justice, not just in his wrath, but pardoning iniquity, passing over our transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in his steadfast love. There's no one like the Lord, our God, because of the love that he shows us. He will again have compassion on us in verse 19. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show your faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. God keeps his promises. Micah is not just about judgment. It's not just about wrath. Micah is about a God who loves his people and who keeps his promises and who forgives sin. As we study the book of Micah, we see right in front of us the character of God. A God who is not like us. A God who does not act like us. And for that, I am thankful that God is not like Lance. So how do we respond to the character of God this morning? First of all, we fear him. Not being afraid of him, but knowing him, having a relationship with him, loving him. We fear him. Secondly, we obey him. Not in a ritualistic way, but in a way that he has asked us to with hearts that are wanting to be obedient to him. And then lastly, we worship him. We worship the Lord, our God, for his character. There's no one like the Lord, our God, as we see in the book of Micah. And over the next several weeks, I hope we know that and we understand that even better. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it ministers to us. We ask, Lord, that we would understand you better. We ask that we would, that you would help us to know you, not in a ritualistic way, but in a way that is as you have desired us to in your word. Help us now as we remember your son's sacrifice on the cross for our sins, to be reflective, to be submissive to your word. In Jesus' name. Amen.